off and running, KCOU 88.1 FM. This is Start Your Sunday, Sunday, May 15th, 2022. I'm running solo for the time being. Jonathan Litzkin is gone. Everyone else, mostly gone. Harrison Vatman, you're hosting. Start Your Sunday as I have, for the most part, the last two years. This is the first time I think I've done this show, sitting in the studio by myself, kind of lonely. But we'll bring on Dieter Curtin back from... San Francisco covering the Niners and the Golden State Warriors are going to talk about that uh, just a few minutes. It's about a full 50-minute interview, so we have to sit back, relax. We'll run through that. Quickly, do just want to run through a couple of the NBA Game 7s today. Obviously not huge on NBA the show. It's football-based, but not much NFL news in the past week. We'll get to some NFL Trey Lance stuff, Devo Samuel, Jimmy Garoppolo uh, with Dita Curtin back in a few minutes. I do want to give some quick thoughts on the two Game 7s today. Bucks at Celtics. Uh, what we saw from Jason Tatum in Game Six on Friday night was on the borderline of legendary in terms of the 46 points, seven three-pointers to kind of keep their season alive. Outstanding stuff from him. And then Giannis, on the other hand, was what 44 points as well, 20 plus rebounds. I think today the Game Seven in Boston is going to be you know another one for the ages. We've seen three, four straight games in this series have been down to the wire, uh, incredible games. I I lean Boston tonight. I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, I kind of think they just have the better overall team. I think the Bucks kind of the roster peaked a little bit without Chris Middleton. They just unless Drew Holiday and they can get some massive performance from the role players. I think it's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, for Milwaukee in Mavericks Suns, I kind of have a feeling that Mavericks are going to go in there and get a win tonight. I don't like the way Phoenix has looked in even in their win in Game Five. It just Mavericks just couldn't shoot the ball in the third quarter. Dallas scored what ten points overall. The Chris Paul thing is. It's what happens with point guards with age. You're going to get a lot of inconsistency. And he's had some great moments, obviously, in the the closeout game against New Orleans. But in this series, since like game one, game two, very up and down, very iffy. We'll see what he has in the tank. I just Luka Doncic is performed at every level in the postseason as he can. We saw he scored 46 points in the game seven loss last year to the Clippers. What could he even store today? I would be shocked if he gets 40 points. Will the role players step up for Dallas? Will Reggie Bullock hit threes? Will Dorian Finney-Smith hit threes? Will they get help from guys like Maxi Kleber or Davis Bertans? I don't know. But the player on the court I trust the most today is Luka Doncic over Chris Paul, over Devin Booker, over DeAndre Aiden. I think Lucas can get hits, and it comes down to the role players. And honestly, give me Dallas. I I don't know what we get from DeAndre Aiden today. He's been mostly quiet in this series. And Devin Booker, who talked a lot of, a lot of trash after the Game 5 win... Came out in Game 6 and played the worst game he has all postseason since he's been back from injury. So, does he have a bounce-back performance in him? Possibly. I don't know. He was kind of mocking Luka Doncic. I think Devin Booker kind of wishes he was on the athletic level of Luka Doncic. So, I'm going with Boston and we go with Dallas. I think both games are going to be close, both intense. A couple NHL Game 7s today. Uh, Penguins-Rangers. I know the Penguins have some injuries. Uh, I lean Rangers in that game. And then Stars-Flames. Uh, take your guess. And then we already... Tampa Bay... Uh, took down Toronto last night in Game 7. Toronto, for the fifth straight year, had a chance to close out and advance, and they didn't do it. Uh, up three games to two, lost it overtime on the road in Game 6, come back Game 7. Down one nothing early, had a quick answer to tie it, and then Tampa scored really fast to make it 2-1, and that was the final score. And Tampa moves on. They're going to play Florida in the battle of the Sun State for the second time for the second straight year, I should say. Um, that's a really fun series. We'll have Carolina against the Rangers. Penguins winner. 
Uh, Colorado versus St. Louis is going to be a lot of fun. A lot of Blues fans around here. Uh, and then the winner of, who is it, in the other series between Dallas and Calgary will play against the Edmonton Oilers. Connor McDavid advancing to the second round. So that's hockey. That's basketball. We're going to get to Dieter Kern back. San Francisco covering the Warriors and the 49ers. We'll start off with some Warriors stuff. This is a pre-recorded interview that I get to. If the audio is a little quiet, you know, turn your turn your volume up a little bit because it might be a little a little on the quieter side. So kind of be alert for that. Listen a little carefully. And here we go. Let's get to Dieter Kurtenback talking Niners and Golden State Warriors. All right, little start your Sunday special. My good friend Dieter Kurtenback. San Francisco coverage, Warriors, Niners. How are we doing today? Uh, I'm tired. Uh, game six last night, Chase Center, San Francisco. Uh, your boy has early morning things on his schedule. And so we're doing this early. We're rocking a couple of Mountain Dews. We're, we're, we're ready to rumble. We're excited, but we're, we're tired. And, and that's the, the kind of beautiful spot I find myself in typically in the NBA playoffs, like too tired to do anything about it, but uh, just tired enough to kind of say what I think. So this could get interesting. Well, you have the games tipping off for you at you know, what, seven o'clock local time. For those in yeah. the East Coast, the Warriors games aren't starting until 10 p.m., not ending till you know, close to one. Yeah, I, I have no concept of how people do it. I, I lived in the Eastern time zone. Uh, I grew up in Central, lived in the Eastern time zone for about four years, and I think I'm still feeling the ramifications. The, the correct answer is God's time zone, and that's mountain time. If we could all find a way to get on mountain time, that's the way to do it. It's a perfect balance. So I think it's right that we start with the Warriors last night. They were recording this on Saturday morning. Last night, able to come back and win only up by one point going to the fourth quarter, a 14-point win over Memphis, and a pretty grueling six wins. And you kind of described it as the hot mess Golden State Warriors, how they've been over the last you know several months of the year, the losing streak. When Curry was out, they come back, they kill Denver in games one and two, and then really look, really look shaky in games three, four, and five, and kind of survive the Memphis series, a survive and advance kind of mechanism. I'll ask you a simple question. like, Are the Warriors good enough and consistent enough to win the title? Those are two di- different questions, though, um, because they are absolutely good enough to win the title. They are in no way consistent, and if anything is going to trip this team up, it will be themselves and their inability to play serious basketball for more than like five, six minute stretches, which is the best they've put together to this point. Um, again, no team has a higher ceiling than the Golden State Warriors in this postseason. And, and that's with all due respect to these other teams, Milwaukee, Boston, um, Phoenix, Dallas, like it, sorry to the Miami Heat. I just I just don't personally see it. But, you know, I've been wrong before. Uh, no one has a higher ceiling than the Warriors when they are playing their brand of basketball to their best, the uh, best of their ability. It, it is spectacular. It is transcendent. The problem is their floor is also lower than any other team in the NBA playoffs. And they have laced that thing with booby traps. And we've seen a lot. We've just seen a, a, a level of mortality uh, with the Warriors this year that, makes it very difficult to evaluate them because we're still holding on to this notion that the infallible warriors from years past have something to do with this team because Steph Clay and Draymond has nothing to do with anything they're doing right now. This is a 
fundamentally flawed basketball team that's playing amongst a bunch of fundamentally flawed basketball teams. So it wouldn't stun me at all if they won it. It wouldn't stun me at all if they got swept out of the next round. I mean, it is parity to the max in the NBA right now. And while the league thought it might be done with the Warriors as we once knew them, and it is, uh, they might not be done with the Warriors in, in the truest sense. So I wish I could give you a better read on it. I, I am just consistently stunned with how inept this team can look at times. And of course, because I'd seen it up close for five years in a row, when they play good basketball, it's in no way stunning. It's very clear that that was the expectation for this team, uh, that somewhere deep down we refused to sort of let go of the notion that this was the, the, the ultimate juggernaut, even though they're clearly, again, Every ounce of evidence says they're not a juggernaut, but we hold on to this notion, this idea that the Golden State Warriors are still a juggernaut and they still flash it every now and again. And uh, Memphis found out, Denver found out, but you're right, man. They, they, they have survived those series. It's weird to think that they've only lost three games in this postseason. I do feel like when you go down by 55 points in a game, that should count for more than one, but one and a half losses. Exactly. If, if not five, but uh, it's. <laughs> When they turn it on, they're really special. Draymond, Steph, and Clay still have it, but they're older. And the team around them is really young, and they're banged up. And I just, I, I, it just feels so foolhardy to make a prediction with them anymore. I I just have no idea what they are on a minute by minute basis, much less a game by game or a season by season. So, makes it fun. Uh, it also makes the entire process incredibly excruciating as a, as a columnist because how many times can I say this team is fundamentally flawed but could still win it anyway? It almost like feels like on paper that like they're the best team in the league because you look, it's Steph Curry who's one of the two or three greatest mm-hmm. point guards in NBA history and the all-time leading three-point. And it's Clay Thompson who's won mm-hmm. three NBA championships and is a future Hall of Famer. And Draymond Green who's won a defensive player of the year and mm-hmm. many all-stars. And Andrew Wiggins who was the former number one pick and, you know, role love players you, who are on the championship. I love how you stuck Wiggins in there as if uh, he, hey, he's, he's ascended a, he's, he's to the next all-star, level. He was an all-star starter this year. What does that say about the modern NBA? I mean, like, doesn't that tell you everything you need to know about the Golden State Warriors and the modern NBA that Andrew Wiggins was an all-star starter? It's, um, maybe it's undeservingly, but it was... No, I'm with you. I'm with you. It was um, crazy how it happened. And they still have these role players from... You know, the championship teams like Kevon Looney, who had like 19 rebounds mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Andre Gidala is somewhere on the bench uh, battling a neck injury. And Damian <laughs> Lee, who was on those teams. And I haven't even mentioned, you know, the 22-year-old Jordan Poole, who has come out of nowhere and been a top player on this team, even though yeah. he's, you know, thinks he's maybe a little bit better than he is. We can get to that in a little bit. But <laughs> this team on paper, like, should be like the best team in the league. And they'll go through the stretches last night where they're turning the ball over like five times in four minutes in these mm-hmm. possessions that, they're taking these ill-advised shots, and that's kind of the concern with this team of why you know some people aren't as much of believers. Well, you're right. When you think about Steph, Clay, and Draymond, I- I've maintained for a long time a policy that you don't bet against them because, well, they've never lost when they all play together. It just it just hasn't happened. Um, but at the same time, we gotta we gotta recognize that the difference between the last time we saw this team in its fullest form which, by the way, wasn't really a full form. Uh, They lost in the 2019 NBA Finals to a Raptors team that could barely walk off the floor when it was all said and done after Game 6. But um, 
between that point and now, those have been some pretty hard years, man. I mean, we've seen, for instance, James Harden just get completely cooked in those three years. Just think about the difference in where we're at, not in just the NBA, just societally. Um, And those, the Warriors are not immune from aging. And we think about Steph Curry. Steph is still spectacular. He had plenty of room to lose a step or two. He can lose about 15 more steps and still be one of the best players in the NBA. But we got to acknowledge the dude's lost a step compared to where he was at. He is not at unanimous MVP level. He's not even at MVP consideration anymore. Uh, maybe at the beginning of the year, but that fell apart. That's got to tell you something. Clay Thompson had a wonderful game six. He sucked in the rest of the series. I mean, it, it, there's no nice way to put it. Like he might've had a couple of nice offensive games. He was barbecue chicken on defense. And this is a dude who's undergone two major surgeries to his legs. What else did you expect? He's not going to have the same lateral quickness that he used to on defense. And it got to the point in game two before Ja went out, obviously, but after Gary Payton, the second did for the Warriors, and he was their best perimeter defender before he got injured, that Ja was hunting Clay Thompson. He was actively seeking out Clay Thompson in pick and roll situations over Jordan Poole, over Steph Curry, because it was too easy to cook him. And the Warriors had to take Steph Curry out of the corner where he oftentimes just hangs out on defense so that he can have a whole bunch of energy to run around like a crazy man on offense. They had to put him in the action and hide Clay in the corner. So that man has lost more than a few steps. And again, it's understandable. I'm not holding this against these guys as if, oh, well, they're really letting it slip. This is the natural progression of things. Draymond, actually, I'm going to hold it against Draymond. I have no idea what Draymond's doing as of late. He was great in the fourth quarter, but his uh, his passion for turnovers right now is really jarring and unsustainable if the Warriors want to continue. But you know, the, the, you think about where the league is at right now and, and Devin Booker being 25 and Tatum being 24 and Luca 22, 23, and Giannis is still in his mid 20. I mean, this yeah. is the new generation, right? Like LeBron is sitting on his couch tweeting through it. Uh, the Warriors represent, along with Chris Paul, but the Warriors represent the old guard here. And I think we're seeing more than a little bit of old. I, I think it's very fair to say that for all the value that we want to throw on veteran experience and championship DNA, you know, there's also some downsides to, to getting older and, and having played not just 10 seasons together in the regular season, having played hard playoff minutes for five straight years. I'm not saying that it's taking a toll on them in terms of their day-to-day stamina in this postseason. They just had two years off. Uh, from the postseason. But I am saying is that, you know, hey, th- this the resale value on this truck isn't as high as it once was because it went over a certain number on the odometer. And it's not to say it can't get you home, just to say that it might make some funny noises along the way. It's I don't want to call it a kind of a one last dance thing because there mm. are a lot of young teams coming up, up yeah. in the West with Minnesota is really strong this year. We saw New Orleans was this year making the playoffs and winning a couple of games against the 64-win Suns without Zion Williamson, who's a top you know, 20 mm-hmm. player in the league. How can, should like this Memphis series be viewed kind of in the, the bigger picture? It's, it was a six-game series that, honestly, a couple things go differently. Memphis wins the series in six. If the Jolly Up goes in a game one, if Jaw doesn't really get hurt, 
Mm-hmm. You know, the officiating game four goes a little bit differently. The officiating yeah. for the series as a total, even the Dylan Brooks thing in game two, the yeah. 50 point loss. Kind of, and then you see like the John Moran tweets that are coming up in the last, you know, 12 hours of him, you know, taking shots at like fans, like, in the bigger picture, I mean, sounds like he wants to literally take shots at fans, which doesn't I, seem very good for the league. Yeah, it's it's questionable. It's a little, some immature behavior, as I'd say, for totally. a superstar in the league. Totally. How should this series, in terms of because there were a lot of takeaways from it, even like Jordan Poole and Jaron Jackson, who were mm-hmm. you know, good friends getting into it last night. How should mm-hmm. this series be viewed in the bigger picture? I'm not sure it ascends to a higher level. I'm not sure that Memphis. Um, I'm not sure that Memphis did themselves favors in this series. I don't feel strong. I actually feel worse about Memphis after this series than beforehand. Now, I was pretty high on Memphis going in. Um, I have obviously seen the Warriors play Memphis a couple of times, and I thought the matchup was really good for Memphis. I feel like they had the ability to do something which is pretty rare, um, which is control the pace of games in the playoffs. But they're also a team that just didn't know what the hell it was doing come postseason time. And they certainly picked up a lot of new experiences. And I do think that when Ja was playing, he showed a savant-like ability to understand what was required of the moment in the playoffs, which is something we definitely didn't see against Minnesota. But I do think we saw in the early goings, particularly like game two was a great example of him making up for some of the mistakes he made at the end of game one of uh, of this series against the Warriors. But they're they're an incredibly brash in terms of Memphis. They're a brash and confident group, which is great. I'm I'm never going to knock brash, confidence, youthful energy, all that stuff. Um, I, I remember not that long ago when I might have been described as such a thing, but and certainly the Warriors as well. But I look at like last year's Atlanta Hawks, and then this year's Atlanta Hawks, and I look at. Something that I, I've been I've maintained for a long time, like John Morant's style of play is not a 10-year style of play, much less a 15. It's a five at most in terms of explosion. It's it's very Westbrookian, except well, he's at the club on a Thursday night in San Francisco. And well, Russell Westbrook takes care of his body at an exceptionally high level. And it finally broke down on him a little bit this year. Actually, the body didn't break down. His that, game that just kinda, didn't translate. That, comes, that comes with age, though. It does. It does. But you, you would hope that you would get it. Yeah, you would hope that, you know, Ja would be able to get ahead of it. And the fact that his knee got bruised and no one really knows how. I mean, it's just I, I grew up in Chicago with Derrick Rose. Like, I, I just I've lived this. And um, I I. I'm just not sure that Memphis has the ability to take it to another level. I think that they have some really wonderful players. I think that Jaron Jackson, if he could stop Chris Stapps Porzingising it all the time, that would be ideal. Um, not to say that he shouldn't shoot threes, just to say that maybe don't be Carl Anthony Towns as much. And uh, and certainly on the defensive side, he, he is spectacular when he doesn't foul. Desmond Bain is a dude. Dylan Brooks is the ultimate wild card. You just don't know what you're going to get from him. He had three flagrant foul points in the series, but he also had two spectacular games where he was just the guy, and you have to live with the bad to get the good because this is a dude who just operates outside of the realms of normalcy. Taylor Jenkins was outcoached dramatically, and then he outcoached Mike Brown dramatically, and then he got his ass kicked again on 
in game six. Uh, maybe he was a little bit too preoccupied with conspiracy theories. I just, the Warriors messed around and still won in six. The Warriors messed around to the point where they trailed by 55 points in game five and still won in six. The Warriors were not good in this series. Game one, the end of game six, kind of everything else was ugh, sloggy garbage. I mean, they won in game four and I had to like rip them in a column. Just it was so bad. It was such a bad game. It was such it was a bad game win. controlled by officiating especially at the end. Right. And I, again, everyone wants to just go with the Warriors and say, oh, championship DNA. They know exactly what they're doing. Man, they do know what they're doing, but they don't seem to know how to execute what it is they should be doing. And Memphis is young, and I just believe that there's this constant idea that, oh, well, they're coming. They're coming. They showed it. They're coming. I don't think it works that way. I, I Growth is not linear. I think that there are a million pratfalls that can come about. Number one being the fact that your best player gets easily injured. Number two being that you might be better without your best player. Like I, it just feels as if there's, there's almost more reasons to be concerned about Memphis going forward than there are to be excited about them. And maybe that's just my natural pessimism, but this felt like their opportunity this year. It, 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 they had a warriors team that was gettable and they let them off the hook a couple of times. Uh, and, and again, it would be great to say, Oh, well, Ja. Ja was out, so it doesn't make sense. They, they played better without Ja. I mean, they, they were really good defensively without Ja. And maybe not having Ja in the final couple minutes of game six burned him. But, like, if that's the margin, it feels like you should win the series. It feels like you should be in a better position to take advantage, that you're right there, sitting there, and you just didn't get over the hump. Um, I just I would I would not be so quick as to just pencil them in to the next round next year, just expecting everything to be a okay. It just doesn't work that way. Like where's the room for growth? Cause jaw was spectacular. This year was an MVP yeah. conversation for a lot of the season until yeah. the injury towards the end of the year. Like where is the jump? Cause Jaron Jackson, he's so up and he's down, there. as you mentioned, whenever yeah. he shoots the ball, it looks like, you know, he's injuring himself. It's the, way, <laughs> it's the last like, knuckle the way it comes off. And like Dylan Brooks is just so you mentioned like there's the good, one, there's the bad Desmond's a good pay, player. Yeah. Brandon Clark was the worst player in the court in this series thing by a wide margin. Mm -hmm. it, it was very like, mm -hmm. where like, they have, it's a lot of young players and like we'll assume they're going to get better, but this team walked into the chase center last year with them in a playing game and, you know, yeah. beat them down. Basically like he went to overtime and Memphis had control for, for the most of kind of the like most of that game. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that stands out to me. Like when Memphis put it together and they put it together fairly frequently, they had real control. Like they, there was a heaviness to Memphis, right? And it felt like, man, this team's built for these kind of moments. I, I, I don't know how they kept letting their hands off the rope. Like the and Warriors the same thing happened in the Minnesota series. Totally, but it, and, and I think that a lot of people, again, this goes the other way. With the Warriors, it's like, oh, championship DNA. That's just some nonsense that we say. Yes, they have experience. They don't get rattled in big moments. But you have to execute. Execution doesn't have to do with you know championship DNA or something. That's just an easy catch-all so that people feel good and they don't have to actually explain what's happening so that they don't have to rationalize with bad basketball being played with good basketball. And the same thing it happens on the flip side. Oh, well, Memphis is just inexperienced. Maybe they played bad basketball. Yeah. The, I do think that they showed some maturity and some development 
as this postseason progressed, right? I do feel like they got over a bit of a hump in taking care of Minnesota in six. And then I, I feel like they did get better and sharper and smarter and understand what the moment called for a little bit more as this series progressed. But this is the second round. Like, this is not in big. This is no, not like, important. There's still like 10 more wins to go in the path to win the title. Right. Right. I just I, I just don't think that you can naturally give it to them. I think that this team, Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain is the X factor here because I do think that they can get enough role players. They've shown the ability to de- both develop and identify talent to with, you know, Melton. And they got some really nice three, four, five, six, seven. Like they, they can fill out a team. I feel confident that they'll be able to put out a really good five man lineup. I don't know what Ja is moving forward. Ja might be a supernova. He might be. He might be the MVP next year. I mean, again, high floor, very low ceiling for reasons that are somewhat beyond his control. Uh, Desmond Bain is the X factor. If Desmond Bain can be an all-star caliber player, and I do think he has that ability, though it is a bit of a stretch at this juncture right now to feel like he gets there next year. Now I'm viewing Memphis in a different realm because I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is what he is. I I think that there's always, again, much like Dylan Brooks, you're going to have to take the good with the bad. There is a a level of volatility to his game because he just doesn't want to do the five thing the way that he needs to be doing the five thing. Uh, But if Desmond Bain, who was injured, he had a back thing, obviously, early in the series, apparently that loosened up in in San Francisco, uh, which is hard to believe given the weather. Uh, you would think that the humidity of Memphis would help him, but here we are. Uh, if he can take it to the next level, I'll feel a lot better about Memphis. If he's just Desmond Bain, guy with a very high floor, and this is his ceiling, I don't think I, I think that there's a lot of other teams that I would like their trajectory more than Memphis's. I, I just don't. I just don't give. I just don't give upward mobility as much credence as everybody else. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Last part with the Warriors before we'll get to the Niners stuff. Mavericks or Suns, who do you think is going to be the better matchup? I think they yes. don't really want to see Phoenix because of the veteran leadership of Chris Paul. We know his mm-hmm. kind of feud with uh, Curry we've seen in the past. I think there's more <laughs> There's more to worry about with Booker and Bridges and DeAndre. Yeah. With the Mavericks, you know Luka's going to eat. And it's yes. basically if Brunson and Bullock and you know, Davis Bertans and Cleaver are going to hit shots, and I think they have a better chance against Dallas. What do you stand on that? I think you're right. It's interesting because I did uh, I did this mental exercise before the first round, right? Because the Warriors, we have to remember, were the third seed and that their first round opponent was very much in flux up until the final day or two of the season. And between Utah, Denver, who eventually was their opponent, and Dallas, I was adamant that Dallas would be the worst possible matchup because of Luka. And I, I, I liked Dallas coming into this tournament. Uh, I think that five out with Luca is pretty damn dangerous. Uh, I watched way too much James Harden, Houston Rockets basketball to not develop some sort of a a begrudging appreciation for the ability of one man to just do it all with a bunch of spacing dudes around him. Um, And I do think that Dallas defensively, I might not care for Jason Kidd, the person, but that dude can coach that dude can coach up some defense and personnel wise. They're not flashy, they're not sexy, but they're highly effective. And uh, but it is kind of comical when you, you say all the guys' names out loud, like, oh well, you gotta watch out for Davis Bertans. Yeah, I don't know. On the You're worst not wrong. in the NBA. <laughs> I mean, no, he's no there's another Latvian who has that. But um, 
if it hasn't been made clear yet, I hate Chris Staff's Porzingis. I can't stand him. Um, nevertheless, I think that the difference is if Chris Paul keeps playing like booty, I don't know if the Warriors would be that concerned about Phoenix. I mean, obviously concerned as much as you would need to be concerned about your Western Conference Finals opponent and certainly the team that was the best in the NBA in the regular season. But if you don't have the optimal Chris Paul, Phoenix, as we have seen, looks very mortal. My concern and the reason that I would say that Phoenix Phoenix would be the worst matchup for the Warriors, the team that they would want to see the least of the two, with both of them being bad options, is their size, right? Like Mikael Bridges is one thing, and that is not something to overlook. Cam Johnson, uh, underrated player to the point where now he's probably going to get overrated, but he's not something to overlook either as a perimeter defender. But the fact that Phoenix can go a full 48 minutes with a competent center on the floor, that's dangerous to the Warriors in a way that wasn't exploited by Memphis. And I do think we saw some value with them finally going with Steven Adams. Again, what Taylor Jenkins was doing in game three when Adams was available and just decided like, nah, we're good. Let's keep playing Brandon Clark. Um, (laughs) That beyond me, but you see that size can have a real effect. And last night, the Warriors had to overcommit in so many ways to being big, right? And you needed Clay Thompson to get huge rebounds. Andrew Wiggins had to play well above the rim as a, as a wing to grab rebounds. Draymond Green put it all on the line. They would have lost. If, if the Warriors lost game six, game seven was going to be a 20-point blowout for Memphis. I mean, it, Draymond gassed himself to win that game. And then Kevon Looney, uh, one of my favorite players, one one of my favorite players in the history of the NBA, just like the ultimate glue guy. Um, Basically, I can tell if you know hoops or not, if you understand the value of a Kevon Looney. Now, last night, plainly obvious to anybody that Kevon Looney was exceptionally valuable. Uh, Again, you're right. Game of his life. You're going to need like four games of Kevon Looney's life against the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Davis Perdons just doesn't do that for me. Sorry, Max Kleba. Uh, the, I will say this, though. I will say this one final point for Dallas, uh, even though I'm going with the Suns as the worst matchup for the Warriors. Uh, Dwight Powell just destroys the Warriors. No logical reason for it. Kid went to Stanford. Maybe he just likes the Bay Area. But Dwight Powell versus the Golden State Warriors, like that's a thing. It's like Nolan Arenado versus the San Francisco, just a thing. And that's worth one game. That's just worth one game for the Dallas Mavericks. But the fact that we're talking about Maxi Kleba and, and Davis Bertans, and I, I love Jalen Brunson, but like at some point you have to realize that Jalen Brunson's not that kind of dude. Like it, I would, I would, I would try to avoid Phoenix because JaVale McGee giving you 15 minutes of quality center play, uh, follow, you know, Bismack Biombo series for, Totally, totally. You get Bismack Biombo, the playoff experience, and then DeAndre Ayton is just so damn good. Um, I, I, I would, I would be very worried if I was a Warriors team that had uh, one center, and they yeah. do, and he's six foot nine. <laughs> yeah, let's switch over to a little more bread and butter. I think this is going to get interesting. The Niners, and I'll probably the biggest story, one of the biggest stories in the NFL since post draft is the report from Matt Lombardo, the NFL reporter. Ugh. That the <laughs> I can already see your reaction to this because I know what yeah. you're going to say. That the staff and especially Kyle Shanahan underwhelmed by second-year quarterback Trey Lance. Lance started two games a year ago, sat behind Jimmy Garoppolo for the mm-hmm. vast majority of the season. 
I just want your raw reaction and if there's any truth behind, because I know you follow the team very closely, of if the staff is actually underwhelmed by Trey Lance. Did you know who Matt Lombardo was before this tweet came around? I did not. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I saw who follows the NFL extremely close. Yeah. I can expand. <laughs> please, please do. Uh, it's BS. It's nonsense. It's not to say that the the San Francisco 49ers are over the moon with Trey Lance or that, you know, they believe he's going to win MVP next year or anything like that. They certainly understand there's some flaws. But Matt Lombardo doesn't know a damn thing. He's never been to 49ers practice. He's never watched this guy with his own eyes. And I can tell you what I've seen. And I can tell you what the coaches have seen. I can tell you what the players have seen. If they all have, if, if we're all in cahoots, my goodness, that's really something. I, I have a very strong negative reaction to people who have like MBA or just sports in general conspiracy theories, because I know how many like different people would have to be in on the action. And I just know that like, I, you can't even get the, you know, the MBA media to agree on <laughs> where to go to dinner. Like, how are you going to get everyone to agree to look the other way for a giant conspiracy? Which, by the way, the greatest thing that could ever happen to a reporter is to, un, you know, uh, unveil a grand conspiracy. Like, we're looking for it. We really want there to be one. That'd be great for our career. Everyone's going to talk about it. Everyone's going to talk about it. Oh, great. We get the great biggest story in the history of sports. Yeah, you don't think that we're interested in that? But um, the Matt Lombardo thing is just, it's just laughable. Um, it, it's... I can tell you where it came from. It, uh, it's his butt. It came from his butt. He made that up. And uh, it's cool that he thinks that whomever he's talking to uh, knows what the hell they're talking about, but they simply don't. And uh, it, it's great that he got his, you know, his, his engagement on Twitter and his, you know, his little gets his name said a bunch. I'm sure that that's really doing a lot for him, but ultimately he's going to end up looking like an ass. So good on him. Uh, Here's what I know. Trey Lance was the better quarterback in training camp last year until Trey Lance got injured. There's really no two ways about that. There's not any room for interpretation. It was problematic for the San Francisco 49ers because Kyle Shanahan was adamant that Jimmy Garoppolo should start and that they should wait a little bit on Lance because, hey, Trey Lance just hasn't played all that much football. Um, He did hit a bit of a wall bit of a rookie wall comes back after that injury wasn't progressing at the same insane rate that he showed rookie mini camp OTAs. And then the beginning of training camp where the first three weeks, he was spectacular, spectacular touchdown pass. He had it in the preseason game was like, this is the guy. Like, this is him. It's, it's, it's you have to it, it, much like with the warriors, right? Like you have, you're comparing it to a prior iteration that no longer exists. Like, the alternative was right there in front of us every day. And like Jimmy Garoppolo does have positive qualities. I'm, I'm a, my entire shtick around here in the Bay area. And this is a true hell belief is that I'm like very anti Jimmy Garoppolo. People know is I'm not pro Jimmy Garoppolo at all. Cause yeah. I think he's not very good. Um, <laughs> you get to see what the alternative is every day at training camp. And it's like, how is this a conversation? Like, it's just not, they're not even playing the same sport. Um, and 
that was recognizable immediately to anyone who was at training camp. It was recognizable to the coaching staff before training camp. Trey has um, gotten rave reviews from people who do not need to be, you know, raving about him. Like they're not, you know, contractually responsible for pumping Trey Lance's tires, rave reviews about his ability to comprehend and understand the playbook. Like there's no, there's no downside. I haven't heard any downside other than, uh, we'd like him to be a little bit quicker with his decisions on the field. Yeah, no, duh. He's a rookie quarterback. Maybe the NFL game was a little bit fast for him the first go around. Yeah, so he played like 13 games in college nonetheless. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm stunned that Trey Lance might not be uh, Tom Brady immediately. And then the other one is we'd like him to be a little bit more vocal in the locker room. It's like, well, he's not the starting quarterback. So what the hell do you want? Because if he was very vocal in the locker room as the backup rookie quarterback, you'd be like, he's a little bit too vocal. So they're nitpicking to find reasons to not like him. So when Matt Lombardo is like, they don't have faith. I don't even remember what the, the wording was. It's just, it's just comical. The notion, it, it just tells you how, how uninformed that guy is and how desperate the national media is and parasitical that this has legs. That they, and I'm not saying that you, you're out of bounds for asking about it at all because this has been percolating for weeks. The reason it percolates is because it goes so strongly against the common conventional idea that we have developed because it's false. So, of course, it's going to come across as kind of jarring and make us you know perk up and, and be interested. Um, but you know, also, like we... Anyone who's in the know knows that Jimmy Garoppolo was done. He was going to be traded. So the notion that, oh, they're keeping Jimmy around because they don't trust Trey. No, they're keeping Jimmy around because Jimmy decided to get shoulder surgery right before he was about to be traded to the Washington Commanders. Like, and it messed up that deal to the point where they're like, let's go with Carson Wentz. So it's just... Matt Lombardo. I, I do think that a lot of people are confusing him for Mike Lombardi. I, I feel who's like a good reporter he, who's a good reporter who you would trust something that he says, even though he's gotten pretty hot takey as of late, but like yeah. I, I can at least respect where he's been in his contacts. I feel like Matt Lombardo, if his name was Dieter Kurtenbach, he'd be getting laughed out of the room right now. And yeah. so I'm going to laugh him out of the room. So this is a good segue to Jimmy G. I think we might differ a little bit on this. Because I'm pro Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance should have started last year. The Niners were like my Super Bowl pick when Trey Lance, if Trey Lance is yeah. the quarterback, yeah. I think he's going to be the next guy in the NFL. Yeah. I think the smart move for San Francisco is to keep Jimmy G around for this season, regardless of the shoulder injury. And I, I thought this even before the, the shoulder surgery and all that. Because mm. what is the value? Because the talk about what they were going to trade for him was what, a third or fourth round pick from Washington or to if, Carolina? Yeah, if they were lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's say late day two, early day three pick mm-hmm. is the value on that higher than a possible Trey Lance injury. Cause we saw last year where mm-hmm. Jimmy got hurt in week three against Seattle and they needed Trey to come in week four. Obviously mm-hmm. the game against Arizona was rough, but he wasn't as bad in the Houston game. I thought he was, had some nice throws. He was very good in the second half. Yeah. yeah. But we know there's possible injury with him. There's he got injured twice last year. Right. He had, there was the the training camp injury. Then there's he's a running he's a running quarterback. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just natural that he's going to take some dings, and you're playing a 17 game season. No, I, yeah. I think I, I think there's good argument there. And this Niners team is really damn good. This is a team that had a touchdown lead in the fourth quarter on the road of the team that won the Super Bowl just because <laughs> they had a dropped interception and 
Jimmy Garoppolo turned really back into Jimmy Garoppolo for the most part. He was all right for the postseason. I thought he was pretty good in the Dallas game. The Green Bay game was weird. Mm-hmm. It's The Niners are not in a position where they're a Trey Lance injury away from bringing Nate Sudfeld or Brock Purdy in a quarterback with a Super Bowl roster. I yes. think this, the value is higher. On key, I know there's a 20, $22, 23000000 million cap on Jimmy this year. I know that's yeah. a high number. It's higher. Yeah. But, man, this team can win the Super Bowl. With Trey Lance, and if Trey Lance were to somehow go down, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, mm-hmm. you know, the style of quarterback injuries in the NFL. <laughs> He's playing football. He could get injured at yeah, any moment. He could die at any time. They're not a Nate Sudfeld away because this yeah. is what happened in 2020, where yes. I know everybody got injured, but Jimmy was one of them. And that team was a year removed after having a double-digit lead and the ball in the Super Bowl against Kansas. You're, make, you're making a very clear Philadelphia Eagles argument. Yeah. This team... It's smart that they're keeping Jimmy around if they end up doing it for next year. It wasn't their initial choice. Let's be very clear about that. Yes. They would have gladly gotten rid of Jimmy because I do think there is something to be said for a clean transition of power. But at this point, there has not been a clean transition of power. It is messy as hell and has nothing to do with Trey Lance. So you might as well ride with it because you're right. Yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo is a is a bottom tier starting quarterback in the NFL. That makes him a spectacular backup. And you very well could need a very good backup quarterback. I mean, it, it goes to what Kyle Shanahan said about Trey Lance when they decided they were going to start Jimmy. Trey is a backup quarterback, and that's a very valuable thing to have. Now, is it worth three first round picks and the number three overall pick? I don't Not know about quite. that. I don't know about that one, but it did work out for him, right? Because they needed him in a must-win game against the Houston Texans, and uh, it, they ended up winning, though the Houston Texans were garbage. It's It will be interesting to see when Jimmy actually shows up to work because as of right now, they're like, go out, do your thing, rehab on your own. Like, we don't need you around. Hang out in Los Angeles. Have some girls over. Be Jimmy Garoppolo. Training camp, though, by the time around training camp is when he should be throwing regularly, that he should be back from this shoulder surgery. And he's not like holding out because it's $26 million and it's $50,000 a day fine if you don't show up to training camp. Now, maybe the 49ers give him a pass, but at a certain point, I think he's going to have to show up to work. And it's going to be really interesting to see because Jimmy handled last year's situation where he was a lame duck quarterback with really impressive grace, um, both publicly and behind the scenes, from my understanding. This is obviously a little different because he's not the incumbent. He's well, he's, he would be the incumbent starter, but he's not going to start. They have already told Trey Lance, he's the starter. Uh, they will do this whole thing about competition and all they'll say a bunch of stuff, but they, they, they told, know the, they know the outcome. They, they, yeah, they know. Yeah. It's a rigged game. They told Trey Lance, you're starting next year. And the expectation was that Jimmy Garoppolo wouldn't be on the roster. Very interested to see how that dynamic plays out once Jimmy shows up and if he is still the good soldier and the good teammate and all that stuff. I think he will be because I think that's in his nature and his character. But it could, it could get a little bit messy. And a little bit of mess says, okay, we just cut him. So Jimmy Garoppolo has 25 million reasons to be a good teammate and to be a good backup. But if he wants to be somewhere else, Someone else will pick him up too. And 
uh, won't be making nearly as much money, but he, he wouldn't have to deal with all this. And I, I'm fairly certain that Jimmy Garoppolo has been spending within his means up until this point. So uh, I'm not too concerned about, you know, the bankroll if he decides to take a $20 million haircut. Ah. But but if you're going to pay that much money to Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah, you, you might as well have him around for what you need him for, which is we might need you. Stay ready. It goes down. And, yeah. You know, because we know what happens with quarterbacks. You mentioned with football. People get injured. Jimmy, like you mentioned, he's a, he's a bottom 10 quarterback in the league, bottom seven, wherever you want to throw yeah. in there, but among starters. You're not winning the Super Bowl with him, but, as we saw. They, they got close to the Super Bowl with him. They got close to getting to another one this oh, yeah. past year. Oh, yeah. You know what he's capable of and of just keeping the ship afloat. And if Trey, if something would happen to Trey, uh, oh, he'd be, he'd, he'd be a spectacular. It backup. wouldn't be the whatever happened in 2020 where everything went sideways with the Super Bowl roster. And yeah. next year, they're, they're going to be right in the thick of things with the Rams who won it last year and Tampa Bay who won it the year prior and Green Bay who's always competitive, even though they haven't I mean, gotten over well, the top since I was in like third grade. Will Green Bay be competitive next year? There's there's a lot of questions surrounding that. Uh, one other player who we weren't sure was going to be in San Francisco next year, Debo Samuel. Yeah. The I saw someone have a tweet that Debo Samuel is the first receiver in NFL history to complain about getting too many touches. It's <laughs> it's uh, it, you got to send me that tweet. That's spectacular. Oh, I gotta find. It. I think it was the Theo Ash. Who was a, oh, NFL I'm, Twitter guy. I'm. I'm very, I'm very jealous of that. That's the funniest. That's I'll, I'll really have to good. go find that and send it over. But oh, that's good. It's it's weird the whole way it unfolded because he was really solid from the role last year. I guess he's looking <laughs> ahead to his his long term future because they were yeah. trying to use him at running back because you know Elijah Mitchell and Mostert was uh, wasn't getting the job done and Jeff Wilson. So like yeah. screw it, cannibal off the depot, and I guess. Was looking ahead, and he was a well, huge part of them getting to the NFC Championship, obviously. But yeah, there, there's some like personnel there play year. there. There's some personnel play with the Debo Samuel playing running back thing. One, he's very good at it. Uh, two, he's built for it. And three, it allows Kyle Shanahan to really dictate what defenses are played against him, personnel packages. Because if you line up Debo out wide, okay, well, now you're a nickel. But then Debo's a running back, and you motion him into the backfield. And now you're lighting the box and same way they do with Kyle Juszczyk because they can move them all over the field. They don't really like moving George Kittle out of inline. And that's something we see with um, the chiefs, right? Like where Kelsey will be in line, then he'll be lined up way outside and that can dictate personnel in some ways. But Shanahan, when they drafted Debo Samuel, they also drafted this kid, Jalen Hurd out of Tennessee, who was a running back and a wide receiver and had the size to play like, move tight end and conceptually Shanahan got really obsessed with this notion of positionless football. And I think a lot of it actually predicated from the warriors and their switch everything defense roughly around that time when they were still awesome and spectacular. Um, And I, I, Shanahan watches the NBA playoffs because that's about the only basketball he can watch. And uh, he might've texted a few people around town about the warriors and kind of what's going on and the term positionless was coming up a lot around that time and suddenly they draft a bunch of positionless guys and kind of have this idea so Debo was Debo's the only one who kind of made it through um, by the way Debo getting those touches from last year as a running back was also in part because Debo kind of sucked as a receiver and they needed to find ways to get him involved in the game because he would just just zone out and not run his routes and just, he's not a diva. I mean, he's the anything but, but since he was five years old, right? It's like, just give the ball to Debo. 
And even at South Carolina, it was just whatever you can do to give the ball to Debo. And for the first time in his life, he was having to wait to get the ball and it was not working out all that well. And so the 49ers are like, what if we did the give the ball to Debo plan? And now he's complaining about it. The weirdness of all of it is he's never said what he wants. He, he hasn't even said he wants more money. It, it's just. We're not sure like what his, his deal is. It's, it's very unbecoming. And ultimately he lost because he had very little leverage and then bluffed. And the 49ers called that bluff before the draft. And basically it's like, no, we're not going to trade you because no one's going to give us enough value because you're more valuable to us, much like my, my 10-year-old Hyundai Sonata. It's far more valuable to me than it is to anybody else. Um, I couldn't sell it for what it's worth to me. And you know, I certainly couldn't get another car that has the same qualities and features for that price. Uh, this is the problem with being a running back in the NFL, even if you're a wide receiver. And I know that Debo Samuel and his agent, Tori Dandy, see that and understand that. And they're trying to get paid early because they know that the next hit could be the last, but they did not handle this in a professional enough manner to where the benefit of the doubt or a middle ground would be found between the team and the player and his representative because they threw a hissy fit without explaining what it was they were angry about without ever saying, I want to be paid X amount of money. I want to be given this amount of term. I want to make sure that I'm not all of these things that we have just sort of ascribed to Debo Samuel and this situation. We're ascribing like this is made up stuff. He's never said anything other than trade me and for reasons that no one he knows. did. He, I mean, we can guess it, I mean, the answer is money. He wants yeah. more money. If you're going to have me touch the ball this much, if you're going to put me at running back, you need to pay me. But that's not how this works. And he found out the hard way, and a better agent would have helped him out with this, found out the hard way that most, if not all, of the leverage in player team negotiations is on the team side. And there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that we could get into on that. There's certainly plenty of speculation, which we'll leave out of it, regarding some of the, the peripherals when it comes to Debo Samuel off the field, but the Niners can very easily say, you're going to show up. You're going to play the final year of your contract at four something million dollars, second round, second round uh, contract, rookie contract. We'll franchise tag you. And then we'll franchise tag you. And we'll franchise tag you. He finds himself in a very Kirk cousins like situation. Yeah. He's not a good enough yeah. wide receiver to be paid like an elite wide receiver. His value comes from being a multiple position guy but that position doesn't pay very well and doesn't have very good longevity. So he's, he's perfect for the game. franchise. And like someone you know, was going to pay him if they traded for him, but San Francisco, they have no reason to trade him because they have a second year quarterback coming in. They don't want him to leave him with, you know, Jawan Jennings, Brandon Ayuk and Trent Sherfield. It's like, you, you got to give him. They don't even have Trent Sherfield anymore. You know, he's gone now also. Yeah. He was hyped up so much in training camp last year. Yeah. We, we might've been a little wrong about Trent. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're not wrong. Hurt. He, 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 I don't know where Jalen Hurd is. I'm, I need to find Jalen Hurd. But um, you're right about that. They certainly don't want to make their team worse for the sake that, of That would stunt their young quarterback's growth. 100%. They have George Kittle, but George Kittle can't catch you know, 120 passes <laughs> as much yeah. as San Francisco would want him to. Yeah, well, it's because he only plays about 12 games a year. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% right. There's no reason for them to 
acquiesce to these random whims of a player. Now, there is plenty of reason to make Debo Samuel feel as if he is wanted and feel as if he is a foundational player for this team. The 49ers, more than anything else, love paying top of the market. Like their favorite thing to do is pay a guy who's a really good player, and Debo Samuel is unquestionably a very good player. He was an all-pro last year, to pay them top-of-the-line money because they feel like that represents, it's almost like the Cowboys. Like They feel like that represents their like elite status. Yeah, they're the football. crown jewel of the NFL. Yeah, like, no, we take care of our own here in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, Debo's messing that up. They would have paid him. And because he threw a hissy fit over, I don't know what, they're like, well, now we're not going to. Uh, and maybe it works out, but it doesn't really matter if it works out or not because the only way for him to make the money that he wants is to keep doing what he did last year. And there's a bit of an oxymoronic catch-22 to all of this, which is that he doesn't want to do what he did last year because he's afraid he won't get the money that he wants. And it's just it's, it's a big hot mess that is compounded by the fact that Debo Samuel apparently doesn't know what he wants. And I, I it's all been very unbecoming for him. And while it would have, I, I, I got to the point where it was like, you should just trade him, just get rid of him. Like, this is not worth the trouble. Get him off your hands. Just, it's just what, what the hell is this? This is, this is amateur hour. Uh, and this is a guy who's been an all pro once, wants to be paid like an all pro for the next five years. I'm willing to make the bet that a dude who's freaking out this much right now isn't going to be worth the trouble down the line. Like it, it's not a, it's not a guarantee, guaranteed you know moneymaker there, but you feel pretty good about yeah, it's probably a one and done. If this guy is really trying to get paid now, like he knows it is, he knows it's a one and done. So he's trying to get paid now, but if you're not paying him and you still get him, that seems to work out pretty well for the San Francisco 49ers. All you had to do was just, stand your ground and, and not, not freak two, out. They basically got two years of him. Then if you want, if they want to let him go next off season, he's gone. He got two years of production or three and a receiver or four. At 25 years old, 24 years old. He, they, and by the way, now the seal has been broken on contentiousness in contract negotiations. So like if they get to the point where they're like, we're going to franchise tag you, they might franchise tag him as a running back. Yeah. Go ahead. And do <laughs> that it. would, that would not be that would lower favorable. the cap. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it would be just what, it'd be the average of the top 10. So, I mean, they'll be, in, they'll be in really good shape. Um, they usually and it's, it, Yeah, no, they, they outside really, of the, uh, the Jim Tom years. They, I'll say this about the San Francisco 49ers. They care so much about the salary cap. And then you see what the Rams do. And it's like, like throw what, contracts everywhere. Allen Robinson. They're, Robinson they're, they're Bobby just, Wagner. Yeah. They're like the salary cap is a myth. And, you know, just do whatever you can to get as many good players at once and like figure it out later. And then the 49ers are like, we are $37 under the salary cap and everything is nice and tight. And it's like, you wonder why they're a good account. It's like, I know all the numbers. Are correct. Yeah. Account accountants were usually win in professional sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Dieter, talk about Niners, Warriors, anything you want to plug? Nah, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. Appreciate it a lot. Love KCLU, man. It's been a minute. Been a minute. Yeah. All right. See ya.
That was our full interview with Dieter Kurtenbach. Really appreciate him coming on and talking all that about Trey Lance and the Golden State Warriors. This is our last show for a few weeks. KCOU is getting a little corporate remodel. It's going to take a couple weeks to get that in and out. I might post a podcast, uh, Starter Sunday Digital Only, talking my favorite games on the 2022 NFL schedule that was released on Thursday. I just didn't have enough time for it today with the great interview we had with Dieter. So hope everyone has a great Sunday. Enjoy the Game 7s. We'll see you next time. Don't know when that will be, but